Hi, I'm Jenna, the red-haired Stokey, and welcome to another episode talking about the history and heritage of Stoke-on-Trent and North Staffordshire. I'd just like to talk today about the leopard. I know that a lot of you have already read the article, and obviously I went back, because it's been two years now, we're, we're at the beginning of 2024, and it's been two years since the fire, which was January 22. And not much has changed. It's still a shell. It's got scaffolding up. I know that the people that own it are trying to put planning permission in for houses. But we're still unsure whether the facade at the front is going to be saved. I appreciate that not much else is going to be because the structure at the back, if I'm honest with you, I'm not sure how it's still standing up after all these winds. But yeah. I mean, it's the end of another heritage building. Lost a fire. Just seems to be the way, don't it, in Stoke-on-Trent, but the leopard has been a social hub in Burslem for well over 300 years. So I thought what I'd do for this podcast is just go back and look at the pub's history. You can go and check out the blog post on my website, which is theredhairedstokey.co.uk, but I thought I'd turn it into a podcast so people can listen to it, because not everybody wants to sit and read for 20 minutes for half an hour so the leopard hotel was the origins of the pub start in the 1700s now there aren't any there aren't really many early records of the pub so what i have found might not be 100 percent correct and if anybody does have any local records any early records i would love to see them i am struggling with my research a little bit because Obviously, Stoke-on-Trent and Staffordshire County Archives are closed at the moment. They're doing a big move and making like a history centre, so I'm hoping it's going to be better. I'm hoping it's going to be easier to access the archives and things. Fingers crossed. But yeah, what I found on the history of the pub is pretty much all I think that is out there. So what I found is that in 1711, Alan Wedgwood who, yes, is a relation of the Wedgwoods. She was a distant cousin of Josiah Wedgwood. And she purchased the two cottages that were either side of her cottage. Now, these cottages were built in the early 1600s. And Alan knocked both of them through to her own to create one big, large space, which she then used to establish an inn, which she called the Leopard. Now, there is a map from... Enoch Wood, he made a map of Burslem in like sort of 1750 and Alan's Leopard Inn is actually on this map comprised of the three cottages and it's marked on the map with the number six and like I said before if you go to my website you can have a look I've put the map on there. So that's the earliest concrete evidence that I found of the age of the leopard. So we're talking 1750 at this point. And as we trickle down through the years, there's not a lot that happens between it becoming an inn, really. Um, over the next few years, it just people just go in and drink, I'm assuming. But the f- moment that's most remembered at the Leopard is the very famous and well-recorded meeting between Josiah Wedgwood, James Brindley, Erasmus Darwin and Thomas Bentley. And this meeting was to discuss the creation of the Trenton Mersey Canal. 
and the first sod of this was cut by Josiah Wedgwood in 1766 and Brindley carried it away in a wheelbarrow. The record of this is that Wedgwood wrote in a letter that he met and dined with James Brindley in 1765 and the letter said On Friday last I dined with Mr Brindley, the Duke of Bridgewater's engineer after which we had a meeting at the Leopard on the subject of a navigation from Hull to Burslem. That was dated the 11th of March, 1765. So for any of the naysayers that said that this meeting didn't happen at the Leopard, there's your proof. The Leopard was the centre of Burslem. It was where everybody met. And it's been through various owners. But by the early 1800s, the leopard was in a very poor state and was owned by a vicar from Port Hill. Its fortunes were soon to change, though, because in the 1830s, the inn was refronted, which is the front that we all know and love, and given a new lease of life. I would love to know what it looked like before that, though. But obviously... Photography wasn't invented till the mid-1800s, so there's no photographs of it, and I've not been able to find any drawings or pictures. So if anybody has got anything like that, please head over to my website and contact me, because I'd love to see it. So in the 1830s, it became one of the major coaching houses in the area, and it was expanded, and at its peak, it had stabling for over 50 horses behind it. So this is where the Wedgwood Institute is now and the back of the hotel. Bearing in mind, each horse would have at least a 12 foot by 12 foot stall, probably. That's a big area that it would have covered. And as well as it being a coaching inn, it was also a coach station, so people could get on and off the coaches that were going through, a parcel depot and a ticket office, which was on the main post coach express route which went from Liverpool to London via the Potteries in Manchester. So that was what was known as the mail coach which you could catch a ride on but it was basically before Royal Mail. So any post that went went via this so that was a really important route and the Leopard was one of the main areas on it. The importance of this catapulted the Leopard into being a social hub in the area. And if you look through the archives and the local newspapers and adverts, they all directed people to apply for jobs at the Leopard and there was auctions held there for land and houses and correspondence was posted and collected there. This led a lady called Mary Lees to purchase the Leopard in 1850. Now, Mary Lees was a local widow of means and she owned a few other properties around Burslem. In 1857, there was a grand celebration to open the new town hall, the one that we know now, and Mary Lees was commissioned to create an incredible feast featuring five courses and over a hundred different dishes, and this was held at the Leopard. And another fantastic event was celebrated at the Leopard, and that was the creation of the Pottery's loop line, the train line, And this celebration was held in the Leopard on Thursday the 21st of July, 1870. And drinks were had to mark the cutting of the first sod by Mr John Watkins, who was the chief bailiff. Mary Lees enjoyed the Leopard for quite a few years. 
and it was in 1872 that the Leopard Inn was purchased by James Norris, who was a local brewer. And on the other side of the road to the pub, Norris had built a brewery and a bottling plant next to the town hall. So it made good business sense to own a pub that was close to his brewery. Now, you might recognise this brewery because it's actually on quite a lot of the old photos of Burslem. It's the really big, dark, square building that is... It was where Ceramica used to be. There's nothing there now, though. It was actually Norris who expanded the Leopard into the large hotel that became known as the Savoy of the North. He had the large four-storey extension built to the rear of the original building, which housed 57 bedrooms spread across three floors. And the ground floor housed a large function room and kitchens to cater to the guests, which is basically the model of the leopard that we all knew before it burnt down. So the rooms were found and, and that was James Norris's inn. The toilets, as we know, were downstairs. And this is when the alleged tunnels were dug under the road to transport the beer directly from the brewery across the road to the pub. Now, we have to take tunnels with a pinch of salt. You know me, I love a rumour about a tunnel as, as much as an ex-person. And I'd been down into the cellar in the Leopard many, many times. I've even been down into the cellar of the town hall. And there is evidence of tunnels down there. I'll make a post about that another day. But the problem is... What would be the advantage of digging under the road when he could just roll them across the road? Digging under that road wouldn't have been a small feat of engineering. But then, was it a busy road? Would it have been easier? I don't think we're ever going to know the answers to these questions. But I'll never stop looking and trying to figure it out. The new Leopard Hotel was soon one of the leading hotels in the area. And many famous and influential people of the time stayed at the hotel including H.G. Wells in 1888. But this newfound fame and fortune were not to last. By 1901, the census for the area for the Leopard shows that the licensee was Mr. Thomas Amson and his wife Helena. And by this point, the hotel was still a social hub for the area and a good employer, as is shown by the servants and workers on the census over the last few decades. There was housemaids and cooks, ostlers for the horses, waitresses, barmen, and much more. And the hotel was an extremely busy and well-known place to stay, to go out for a meal, or even just to call in for a pint. But on the 4th of November in 1910, at around half past two in the afternoon, a fire was discovered by a local policeman that was working his beat in the marketplace. And at this point, the landlord was Mr George Popple and he lived at the hotel with his wife, Bessie. And there's an article in the Lowminster News on November the 4th, 1910, and I'll read the article out now, but it is on the website if you want to go and take a look. It says, Hotel on fire. Five women rescued from an upper window. Hanley, Thursday night. An outbreak of fire attended by exciting scenes occurred early this morning at the Leopard Hotel, Burslem. The fire was discovered about half past two by a policeman who was on his beat in the marketplace. He raised an alarm and the fire brigade were on the scene within five minutes. Before their arrival, however, the flames had spread to the staircase and had cut off the escape of five maids and a commercial traveller 
who were driven to the upper rooms. Mr. Popel, the landlord, with several other commercial travellers, had already escaped by the stairs, scantily clothed. One of the travellers, who was clad only in his shirt, rushed through the smoke at great risk of suffocation, but a barman, who also escaped through the flames, was badly burned. The flames had made considerable headway before adequate, adequate help arrived, and the terror-stricken maids had assembled at one of the upper windows in such a condition of panic that they were actually preparing to leap into the street when the fire escape arrived. With all possible speed, the ladders of the escape were run up against the window, and the rescue worker, Fireman Phillips, who ascended one of them, was watched with breathless interest by the crowd which had assembled. Phillips succeeded in calming the women, who were then wrapped in blankets and carried safely to the ground. Shelter was afterwards found for them in the police station. Five women and one man were rescued by the escape, and the man, a commercial traveller, was the last to leave. Considerable damage was done before the fire was subdued. Interestingly, there is another little nugget in the Sentinel in 1947, that on the 18th of April, Colonel Wilfred Barrett Green was fined for having no lights on his car, but the address he gives is that of the Leopard. Captain Green, as he was later known, was a very well-known person in Burslem. He was an English World War I flying ace, credited with seven aerial victories. He was born and bred in Burslem as the second son of Thomas Seaman and Louisa Green. His father was a grocer, a baker and a provision dealer who served as a member of the Borough Council and as a councillor. And after the war and after his father's death, he became the managing director of the family business, Messrs T.S. Green and Sons Limited, and a prominent figure in Burslem. Census of the time shows him and his family living in Nile Street, so it is a mystery as to why he was staying at the Leopard and gave it as his address at the time, because there's no record showing that he owned it or he lived there, so it's got to be assumed that he was staying as a guest temporarily for some reason. By 1956, the hotel had declined in popularity, and there was just not really any use for the bedrooms at the back, so the decision was made to close them off, seal it up, so they could save money on heating and lighting and just go back to using the front rooms as bedrooms, although they did keep the ground floor of the extension open, including the function room and the kitchens. And this huge extension at the back just lay dormant then. Bass Breweries purchased the pub in 1965, and they renovated the restaurant, rebranding it as the Arnold Bennett Suite. And they also revamped the pub, giving it a new lease of life. And it was during this time, on the 19th of April 1972, that the Leopard was listed as a Grade 2 listed building. Not that listing a building really helps anymore, because they just let them crumble, set them on fire and demolish them anyway. But the Leopard plodded along as a pub. I don't think it served as an inn after this. I can't really find any record of, of it being an inn and the rooms being used. I think it was converted into living above the, the pub at this time. But it trundled along as a nice popular pub. And then in 2007, the Leopard sprung to fame again when owner Neil Crisp rediscovered the 50 plus bedrooms at the back and they'd just been lost to time and completely forgotten about. 
When the rooms were reopened, they were found in the exact state that they were left in, albeit in a worse condition, but it was just like a time capsule. The original plan was to reopen the rooms and create a hotel once more, but the cost was too high and these plans never went ahead. But the pub then shot into international fame in late 2007, when it featured on Most Haunted, which is a very popular TV show about ghost hunting. A multi-part episode showed the ghost hunters staying in the pub, in the basement and in the abandoned rooms, with many reports over the years of ghosts. This exposure led in a huge rise in popularity for the pub. Ghost hunts became a popular pastime, and people came from all over the country to dine and drink at the pub, and even to stay overnight in the derelict rooms and Sally. This was the best thing that had happened to the pub for many years because it was once again a social hub for the area. It became well known for its good food, its friendly staff, and its rise into a great live music venue. Local bands and musicians, comedians and parties were regulars in the function room, which was on the ground floor of the real extension. And the pub enjoyed many years of being a warm and welcoming place once more. In 2013, there was a £1 million project which helped to restore the leopard, including roof repairs, structural repairs, historic fabric restoration and floor space brought back into use. The leopard had £215,000 invested into it. I actually had the luck of being allowed to go up onto the scaffolding on the leopard at this time, and I've got loads of photos that I took from on the roof. I will have to share them one day, especially given that it looks completely different today. But the onset of the pandemic in 2020 followed with a downturn in Burzum's nightlife and lack of funding for shops, facilities, and it killed many businesses across the UK, but it meant that unfortunately, the leopard never again reopened its doors. Sharon Crisp, who was the last licensee, I'd run the pub for many, many years. She shared a love of the history and the paranormal activity of the leopard. She battled with the upkeep of the pub right up to the pandemic, but unfortunately, the doors were closed permanently, as I think many were after the pandemic. And this is where it all starts to go pear-shaped, to be honest, because in 2021, the pub was sold to a developer, Denise Investments Limited which purchased it for £222,000 on January the 22nd, 2021. And don't we all know what happens to listed buildings when private developers get their hands on it, especially private developers from out of the area? Denitz Investments is based in Cheadle Human Stockport, and it's got two directors, Danny Singh, and I think I'm pronouncing this right, but Yaganit Rathor, I might not, who are also the directors of their sister company, Denise Developments Limited. And according to its website, it's an experienced and proven property developer in the Northwest, which covers every aspect of property developing from sourcing, buying, planning applications to full refurbishments, lettings and sales. The plan for the pub was to restore the rooms in the back and convert them into luxury apartments and to reopen the pub at the front with a new licence. Now obviously everybody got a bit worried when a private developer bought it, 
So there was a community group, our Burslem, and they managed to get Stoke-on-Trent Council to approve um, on the 17th of February 2021 that the building was now an asset of community value, which was it's the first pub in Stoke-on-Trent to be awarded the title. And it was supposed to offer it some protection. But no, lo and behold, it's almost like everybody can see into the future. Because on the 17th of January 2022, police officers found a large cannabis farm in the pub. And it was said that it posed a significant fire risk to its pub and its neighbouring buildings. Never was a truer word spoken, because on the 22nd of January, a huge fire tore through the beautiful historic building and the blaze burned for hours with over 40 firefighters tackling it. The building has been left in a complete state of ruin. Is it going to be saved? Is it going to be demolished? Is it going to sit empty and ruthless for another 10 years before it gets demolished in some horrible houses or big grey office buildings built in the place? I... <laughs> I really hope it can be saved and, and restored in some way. Time will tell, but our city does not have a very good track record where buildings like this are concerned. So my hope is that the people of Stoke-on-Trent can create the change. I hope that these guys are held re accountable for what happened. And I don't mean punished, I just mean that there should have to be something that they have to save. It's a listed building. Surely they should have to save at least the frontage or something. It's not just the only historic and, you know, significant pub to have this treatment. I know that this burnt down, but you've only got to look at the Crooked House. The issues that they are having. A developer just literally went... I can't explain how dodgy this is, but it got burnt down. And then with, within 24 hours of the Crooked House being burnt down, it'd been knocked down. Something's crooked, and it's not the Crooked House. But only time will tell. We've got to fight for more protection for these buildings. We can't just let three, four hundred years of history just go down the pan. So I'm always up for supporting people and helping to save our local heritage. But in terms of the leopard, I don't know where we go from here. Other than fighting to make them save the front of the building. So at least it looks the same from the front. But there's nothing else left in there, I don't think. Anyway, that's enough of me rambling on. Thank you very much for listening. I'm Jenna Goodwin. This is the red-haired Stokey. Please don't forget to subscribe on whichever platform it is you're listening on. Don't forget to check out my YouTube channel for local history videos and my website, theredhairedstokey.co.uk, for more history articles. Well, thank you very much, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>